All right, now we're on the air. Okay, here we go. Uh, Calvin Chamberlain, my name is Matt Murray. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Careless Whispers on CLNS Media. And the, uh, the technical difficulties, as have been our mantra for the last, oh, I don't know, six, seven years. They continue tonight. We have a slow start, a late start, but here we are. And uh, we will be with you for the next 90 minutes. Talking about baseball, basketball, whatever you like. Calvin, how are you tonight, sir? Uh, yeah, I'm good. See, this is why you're the host, and I'm just the co-host, because uh, I was still thinking, it took me a few minutes after you said CLNS Media to even forget that we weren't CLNS Radio. Yes, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been saying CLNS Radio, or Media instead of Radio, but I'm going to keep saying it, CLNS Media, CLNS Media, CLNS Media, because that's what we are now. And uh, Nick Chelso is a big wig. He's a he's a big man on campus. I'm going to drop his name wherever I can as well. And uh, we move on from there. Yeah, let's move on from there. <laughs> so we uh, we like to start start with the Celtics topic sometimes, you know, because it's just the sort of the, the home of the Celtics, feeling its media. Although I guess we've also got other fine networks of podcasts and. Bruins and other things that I don't care about. However, we do talk about the subjects if we can. And it is preseason, really. Season's about to start. And I don't know if Brad Stevens has sort of, you know, made comments to this effect, uh, locking it in place. You can tell me right now. But it seems to me that the Celtics' starting lineup, is, it, it seems a little bit unsettled. I realize, like, what Pace mm-hmm. and Morris haven't really played much in this preseason, right? So I know that the Celtics, the other games, uh, trotted out a starting lineup with both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in it. I thought that was interesting. Kept Marcus Smart on the bench. Um, you would expect that that would change once Morris and Baines come into play, right? But uh, I didn't hate it. I don't know. You, what do you think? Who do you, I guess we're starting off with the question of who the Celtics starting five should be going forward. Um, I know you have a very, you know, they shouldn't lock it in sort of stance, but I'm, I'm going to Yeah, the other I mean, way. I've had this stance forever, right? And I feel like Stevens has sort of done this forever, even, uh, although he, he did lock Amir Johnson into the starting lineup for quite some time last year. Uh, we meant, I mentioned that two weeks ago as well. And uh, But I really think that, that he's got the versatility this year with the roster that he's going to be able to rotate a little bit depending on the matchup. Now, granted, there aren't many big huge centers out there, but like if the Celtics run into the Lakers, you might see Aaron Baines starting instead of Marquise or Marcus Morris uh, and go a little bit bigger to match up with a guy like Brooke Lopez. If you're going up against Charlotte and with Dwight Howard, you might see Baines instead of Morris, but for the most part, I would imagine that they're going to go with Marcus Morris once he sort of gets into, into game shape and is sort of more cohesive with the team. But, um, I, I would like to see him play the matchups, which is something I've been saying for a long time. And it would break the mold in the NBA, Calvin, and that's part of the reason I want to see it. I'm tired of, I'm tired of the NBA sort of saying that they are going away from the, the traditional uh, roster spots and going to a more free-flowing offense, but then getting this, this idea in their head that they need to have a giant center to start the game. I I understand that you want to get the the ball first in the fourth quarter most, more often than not in general, but games like it doesn't matter who gets that first possession in my opinion. So J- 
just throw your best lineup out there and go from there. If that, if that doesn't involve a huge center, the traditional center, then, then that's fine. But I just, I wish that they would, uh, they would be the people around the NBA, I should say, as when I use the word, they would be a little bit more flexible to having different starting lineups. I don't like the idea of just locking into one and going with it. See, here, here's the thing for me, right? I, I like what, I would like what you're saying. I don't like what you're saying, but I would, if what we were talking about was the playoffs, and this is going to sort of parallel the conversation we're going to have uh, later on about baseball and like what, what people should do with pitchers, because to me, the, the point of the regular season is not to match up with each team you're playing and sort of trying to like see what the Warriors are doing. The point to me is like finding consistency in your lineups. You know, we talk about it's like especially a coach like Stevens. You know, messes around at the beginning of the year, and then Celtics fans tend to get mad because he messes around with different lineups. But it's like he's he's trying to set up a rotation, and then later in the year that rotation solidifies. And then yeah, then when you play it, you know, when you play a team that that a certain guy is a bad matchup against. Yeah, and then you don't start the guy, or maybe you know you're down two games to nothing, and a guy a, a guy played well, and you see a matchup advantage there, and you try to you know make chess moves in that situation. I just don't think on a night to night basis, you know, during a team's regular season, like what do you? You end up winning two more games out of that, but you sort of don't get the line of consistency you want of, of like guys, you know, becoming more of a cohesive unit. I don't necessarily see that as an advantage, even though you may win a, you know, win a couple of more games potentially, or maybe not even that. You know what I mean? So I, I just think in, in terms of degrees of importance, the you know playing you know, team X that has a small ball center and trying to match up with them as opposed to team Y and, and playing the starters in, in that situation, to me, it's secondary to like, Hey, these guys have played a lot of minutes together. This is sort of the unit that plays together. Then this guy comes in and leads the bench in this situation and everybody knows their roles. And you know what I mean? And when it comes to playoff time, yeah, you may make adjustments, but you're usually just like substituting one guy into another guy's slot. It's a lot easier than, just having this chaotic situation where you have a different lineup every night. Yeah, and it doesn't even need to be every night. Like I alluded to earlier, there aren't so many uh, big-name, top-of-the-line, seven-footers that are out there anymore. So you don't have to play to that angle as much. The way the league is going, you're still going to be using the same starting lineup probably, I would say, 80% of the time. But I just I, I would like to, to be able to rotate that sixth man, if you will, in as a, a – a big, like a big center that can match up against some of those those superstar type of guys. Now, obviously, if if the best if the best center you have is your tenth man, you're not going to plug him into the starting lineup just because he needs to be capable. But the point I'm making with the Celtics is that I think Baines is completely capable, and I think that it, it would be good to rotate him in once in a while if you hit a stretch or even a game where you're you're going to be going up against the likes of. Like I said, Howard, Lopez, uh, I, I'd even throw um, uh, Drummond into that mix, you know, uh, just guys like that. Uh, why can't I ever remember his name? Jordan, DeAndre Jordan out on the Clippers, Rudy Gobert. You run into a couple of these guys, throw Baines out there to start the game and see what happens and they, then bring Morris off the bench. That's funny because 
really what this conversation is for me is a, it's a preemptive strike against Aaron Baines. Because you say that Baines is not the 10th man on your team, but we just, we just went down the list and tried to figure out, we're like, let's do that. Aaron Baines, Gordon Hayward or Aaron Baines, right? Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving, oh, Kyle Horford, all We, we know who right? the top five is already. But he's, I'm not saying he's not a sixth man. But do you not, think he's 10th? Is he, is he better than Marcus Smart? No, right? No. No. Is he better than Rozier? I would say no. I don't know. I would say that's debatable. So, But I'm, okay. I'm looking at – all right, you have your starting lineup – and put, throw Morris yeah. in there. Say, say Morris is better than Baines, okay? You've got Brown, Tatum, and and uh, Smart, who are probably better than Baines, all three of them. And then Rogier, who's arguably better than Baines. So I would say that that he's he's not, he's nine at at worst, in my opinion. Okay, so when you say that, but those guys are all good. When you say he's not the tenth man, what you mean is he's the ninth man. That's essentially what you mean, right? That's fine. He's good, but he's not good. Or eight. Good is no yeah, but if if the if the ninth man and the seventh man are on on, the, on a similar level as far as talent is concerned, you can still plug him in. Is the point? But but, but the real point, as far as I'm concerned, look, I watched the, we watched this you know entire Celtics season last year, and we watched Amir Johnson you know, not be worthy of starting. And, you know, Aaron Baines might be better than Amir Johnson was last year. He might not. Who knows? He, it's not like Aaron Baines was, was great two years ago. He, he, you know, he would have been – he'd be playing in Australia or something right now if he wasn't on the Celtics. So my, my thought is, or he'd be like someone else's, you know, backup guy. I just don't think Aaron Baines should be the starter. And it seems like the only reason why he might be the starter is to try to – cater to some the, the exact opposite of what you said, which is like uh, oh, what you were complaining about earlier, which is so like cater to some sort of notion of traditional lineups, or really even beyond that, to try to appease Al Horford, who like doesn't like playing center for some reason, even though he played center all of last year, and is basically a center. Yeah, I feel like we, we're on the same side of the argument, but we're just going at each other for some, for some reason. I'm not advocating for Baines to be a, a permanent starter. I'm just I'm saying that for maybe 20 of the games this season, you throw you throw him out there. Maybe not even 20, maybe 17 games. But you're right. If they if they trot him out there as the starter for 65, 70 games, then it's because they're trying to make Al Horford more comfortable. But in my opinion, I mean that can happen at any point during the the course of a game. So, if you think that, that uh, you want to get a jump start on a team like Phoenix, who is probably going to be running up and down the court, or a team like Milwaukee, who uh, doesn't really have that that big center, but is still long everywhere else, I, I mean, you got to throw Morris out there, in my opinion. I, yeah, or I Brown or Tatum, would... for that matter. You know what I mean? It's not it's 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 not Baines. But if you're going up against a team that has one of those lumbering centers, then Baines is the guy. Which I just, is few I and far between. What, I just don't see what Baines does that Morris doesn't do. I guess that that's where I'm at. You know, you, you know what I mean? He's like, bigger. Morris, he is he is bigger, but but Morris has proven to be because he's a, a thick, stocky guy has proven to be the kind of guy who can yeah okay. Baines 
helps you maybe a little bit more on post-up defense. It's not like Baines is, is a – look, if Baines was Rudy Gobert or uh, DeAndre Jordan, who's he's getting out and getting crazy shot blocks everywhere, shot blocking everywhere and covering the court, then I would say, okay, no, I you're understand right. Yeah, but he's not like a great mobility. rim protector. You're right about that. Okay. Yeah. You you're getting more mobility and basically the same amount of defense, except for maybe on post up situations that are not going to happen very often in the, in the league, even with even with the good centers. You know, like Demarcus Cousins doesn't post up that much. So look, I, I don't and I don't think Baines would be significantly better than Morris in that situation. So I, other than again. It probably would. It probably be Horford if Morris was out on the on the floor anyway, and Horford's probably a better post defender than Baines is anyway. So I, I really think it's like is Baines is Baines really a great rebounder? Yeah, he's about as good as Morris, right? They're both decent, but it's not like he's going to uh, shoot. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably give give Baines the edge actually. I I don't know. I just honestly, okay. I'm not trying to overrate this guy, but I think that he fits, and I think that he can play a role that is five times better than any of the centers that the Celtics had last year. So it, I think he's an improvement just in that regard alone. I just don't like the notion. And if you want to get – look, I'm not against the idea of getting crazy. If you want to get crazy, let's, you know, let's get crazy. And I guess that's, that's sort of what I thought when I saw that lineup with, with both – I don't know that a lineup with Brown, Tatum, and, and Haywood would work throughout the season, but, like, there's a thought of, like, could Gordon Haywood play a small power forward? I feel like he probably could, at least for at least for limited yeah, definitely. stretches. Definitely. There was, a, I mean? there was a brief – there was like a two-day period where Twitter around here was, was talking about how uh, one of the radio guys tweeted out that Gordon Hayward was the same height or taller than Al Horford with a picture that he, that he took. But uh, I think that they're – they're very similar in height, and if if Hayward sort of had that mentality of playing more like a power forward, which he has always played small throughout his career, then he could definitely play there throughout a, the course of a season. But I mean, if you're going to shift in there for a little a little while from time to time, yeah. once a week or something, then I think that would work as well. So yeah, he can definitely move that direction, and that's yeah. part of the reason I think Ainge liked him because he can basically play any position on the floor. Yeah, I, I and, and that's fine. You know, like experimenting is fine too. I, I, my only thing again is like I don't, I don't see the need for the Celtics to to shoot themselves in the kneecap by. Oh, maybe that's that's an overstatement. You know, maybe they're maiming themselves a little bit by unnecessarily starting a guy who is who should be you know somewhat down the, your lineup just to sort of fit some traditional idea of basketball when I think Horford is fine at the center. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it really comes down to whether Al Horford is that uncomfortable or not. Does he really think that he would be a better player if he was playing power forward? And if he, if mentally he is better there, then maybe you make that change. But I think he showed last year that he was still capable of being very productive at that center spot. Because while Amir Johnson did technically start at center, his minutes were ver- pretty low. And more often than not, Al Horford was the biggest guy on the floor for the Celtics last year. 
Yeah, that's funny because I thought of Al Horford as the center. In, in fact, I think ESPN's box stores had Horford as the center and Amir as the power forward. I never thought of them as, as being the other way, but I guess. Sure, but, I mean, it, I, mean I don't know, how do you define center? Is the center always yeah. the guy that takes the jump? Because in that case, usually, I mean, it was Amir Johnson. Yeah. Who's taking I jump balls. I think, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily always jump ball. I think it, it to, to me, it's like who do you guard? Do you guard the biggest guy on the other team? Then you're the center, right? I think I think that's where I'm at. Well, so that's that's kind of like what Amir Johnson was doing, though. And it's where you guard. Are you the one that's sort of trying to anchor the middle of the the paint, or are you roaming around and, and uh, potentially going out to guard the three point line at, at times? I mean, obviously centers do that too on a pick and roll type of situation, right. but. Uh, they it's it's not as often as what a power forward would do, and I think Al Horford was the guy that was closing out on threes. You, I mean, you saw that with Markeith Morris in the playoffs, and Amir Johnson was sort of the guy hanging out in the paint. So, so I, I looked at Amir Johnson as the center last year, and and to me that means that the Celtics are much better at center this year because they've got a couple of guys that can play there and will have much better mobility than Amir Johnson. I guess, but I guess if I, that, that definition now that you've explained that you've you've made that argument, I, I guess I sort of kind of look at it as inadequate now because then I, I think to like Utah, you know, Rudy Gobert is the guy who's like trying to get out and play passing lanes a little more. Yeah, he he's the weak side help defender. When like, does that mean he's less of a center than Derek Favors? You know, I, I I don't agree with that, right? So I, I don't know. I guess center and power forward when they're both that sort of big. You can you can make an argument for them being interchangeable, which kind of goes to my point anyway. Don't, I don't agree with the idea of placating Al Horford just to placate him. Play the best team, the best rosters, the best lineups, and, and go from there. And I, and I don't think that that lineup includes Aaron Baines. Now, maybe as the season goes on, I'll, I'll be proven wrong and I'll adjust my thinking, but I don't think you should start with a guy who's like clearly hasn't shown himself to be one of the best five or, or even seven guys on your team. Yeah, I don't want to get my point misconstrued here. I, I was certainly not advocating for Aaron Beans to be a regular starter for the Boston Celtics. That's not their best lineup, okay. and that's that's not what I what I think would be the the. He's not going to be a top seven or eight minutes earner on this team, and he shouldn't be. But I'm saying that sprinkling him in and it would be ideal in my opinion, uh, because there are certain matchups where you can play the bigger center and get away with it and I mean I understand you want to get cohesiveness and you want to have the same type of offense uh, throughout the year and you want to try and build on on something but I I see a role where he can he can help out at the beginning of games and uh, sort of counteract some of those other guys that are out there uh, and I just I don't know it, it maybe doesn't make sense but that's because that's not what the NBA does you know I, I just wish that they would they would start moving towards being able to rotate players in and out of the starting lineup, depending on who is across from you, much like uh, pretty much every other sport, right? I mean, I know baseball has some pretty set lineups, but if there's a, a lefty on the mound, you're you're switching things up. Football, you, you see who's what type of package the the team is rolling out in front of you, and you send different guys out accordingly. And of course, in hockey, I mean, you, your first line is pr- pretty much going to be the same, but they are capable of rotating guys in and out. And uh, I don't know. It's, I guess it's my, my only complaint with the NBA is that I wish that they would 
be more flexible in their starting lineups. I mean, kind of a strange starters, NFL starters mostly stay the same unless somebody plays poorly enough to get benched. I think start, starting in the NFL is a pretty big deal. But um, in any case, I think we've uh, we've made our points here with this. So let's, let's just move on. To, if, if you're good, right? You're good. Let's just yeah. move on to uh, Joel Embiid. And uh, Roy, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Joel Embiid today, or I think it was yeah, it was today, right? Uh, was signed to a. It might have been yesterday. Anyway, signed to a five-year, 148 million dollar contract. Now, the thing. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Uh, Joel Embiid just got a hold of the the board there. He he must have he must have been hitting the hitting the buttons. He's happy. He's excited. Now, really, before before I like, you know, tear into the Sixers a little bit here, I want to qualify this statement by saying like we don't know exactly what the details are of this contract. So there's a chance, a small chance, that like if this contract is so incentive based that it that it. it Completely sure. insulate Sixers in a way that, like, it's, it, they'll, they'll only have to pay any huge amount if Joel Embiid just turns out to be awesome, right? And yep. I'm sure there's going, yes. to be, I'm sure there's going to be some incentives put into this, but like, I, I doubt it's going to be, it's going to end up being a 24 million dollar contract if Embiid is a failure. We can, we can at least go that far, right? It's going to be, so. it'll be like, yeah, it'll be like at least a hundred million dollar deal. Okay, and. And my thing is this, right? We talked we talked about this before. Like I, I and we talk about you know whether or not they should give him a deal and that what a, what a tough decision it was. But if you if you're going to give a guy who's played 31 games in his career, uh, has not played at all in the preseason, was recently cleared for five on five drills. Uh, you know, I guess when he when he had his meniscus tear, he was told originally that he'd miss a couple of weeks and never never played again uh, during the middle of last season. Again, 31 games for his career, going into his restricted free agency season, which means he couldn't leave as a free agent after this year anyway. Why do you why do you give him essentially what you like like what you would have been able to offer him anyway? That's that's what I don't understand. Yeah, make him a contract offer. But if you're going to make him a contract offer that essentially pays him the max anyway, what's the point? Yeah, if you're not going to save any money, why not just give it to him later? Like, I... Yeah, because they're taking a huge risk. He might. It's such a dumb decision. Look, he, yeah, he might not ever be the player that he said he is in his tent. Oh, he might be, but he might not ever be healthy long enough for it to matter. But instead, they lock him up to this five-year deal. And the thing about that, Ken, look, you can have uh, one non-guaranteed year in a five-year deal, so it's at least a four-year deal after this season. So you're, you're basically, you know, you're sure, but it still doesn't, it doesn't make any sense because what are they afraid that they were going to get locked into the fifth deal, the fifth year of the deal? Like, they, is that what they're they're looking for? They want that flexibility because a, a team as a restricted free agent could offer him that fifth year, but I, it, it doesn't make much sense to me. I don't. Yeah, Philadelphia has the- always baffled me with the with the way that they run their front office, and I I just it it it's not what anybody else is doing, and it's part of the reason that they've been at the bottom of the standings for so long. I just don't see where the potential win is for them. I'm like okay, like other than Embiid being perfectly healthy and living up to the contract, but like they could have given him the, the same contract after the season anyway, and he would have taken it because no team can offer him more than this. So. 
Yeah, and, and yeah, and unless the number is so crazy that the incentive based number is so crazy that it ends up making sense. But I, I think that that, and, and maybe that'll come out, and we'll we'll discuss that next week if that's the case. But I'm I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical of that. It seems to me like okay, you you give him this deal now in the hopes that he's going to be happy. Like if maybe he'll maybe he'll remember it for his next. If he becomes awesome, right? That's the thought. Okay, we'll lock him up now, and he'll be grateful to us. But. When has that ever happened in the history of the NBA where a guy like gave a, a guy going into restricted free agency, gave him the early extension, and that player then, you know, he might have left after four years, but then he just decided that the team was so good to him by giving him that contract that they had to give him anyway that he wasn't going to want to leave for somewhere else. If Joel Embiid wants to leave, he's going to leave. And if he wants to stay, he's going to stay. But like, he's not going to be influenced by them giving him this early deal anyway, because that's what every team with an awesome free agent does. All right. So how how long do you think Joel Embiid will will play if he's completely healthy? Would he, would he play till he's thirty five? Uh, you mean completely healthy? Wait, you mean completely healthy and doesn't get injured again? Or I'm, I'm confused. Yeah, by this and and just and and just he he just is. Uh, I mean, not necessarily everything that people expect him to be, but he's he's a good enough player that he's he's worthy of being in the NBA. How long do you think he can play? Like for the like to what age? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, I guess thirty four, thirty five. Okay, thirty four or thirty five. So when yeah. this contract is up, he would then sign another what five to six year deal. So uh, well, they max out at five, so it'd be five max. Right. So basically, this next the next contract after this one would probably be his his last big money maker, right? So what you're saying is is like the the Sixers have have basically thrown this money at him when they could they could have done it a different way. They could have gotten him later and seeing if he actually does work out and he's, he's not going to just keep getting injured all the time. This reminds me of Blake Griffin. And then still, he would only have a few years left in in the league. It's not like they're they're losing a superstar, a, a guy that's going to be a, a top five talent. By the time he gets to his, the end of this contract, he would still be good, I think, but not necessarily a superstar type of player. So I just, th- this whole thing has got my head spinning in circles. I don't know what they're doing. Well, I, I think being a center with his history of knee and feet problems, it's hard for me to, like, well, well, right now he's 23, okay? He, you know, he'll be 24. Let's say he didn't sign that contract. He'd be 24. Either way, he's 24 when he, when he goes into this next deal that he signed, right? So he's 28 or 29 uh, when he gets out of that. Hope, hopefully he, re, he gets through that mostly healthy, right? He's probably still a star, I would imagine, you know, Based on his style and attrition and stuff, I would imagine he would be a star through about 31, 32. So maybe you get, you know, mostly good value out of his contract that he signs when he's 28, and then that's it, right? But, again, I think this contract is worth it. Right? If, you, if, if you sign him, if he is what he was during those 31 games, it's worth it. There's just no reason to, not to find out if he's going to be that for another year. You have a full other year. Like, again, if you sign, if they sign him right now to a five-year, seventy-five million dollar deal, I would be like, okay, great, it's a risk on both sides, but I totally get it. Now that now the Sixers, now we're talking about, hey, you, much like when Steph Curry signed that deal, that basically Steph Curry's ankles allowed the Warriors to become the Warriors because he was a guy who was always hurt, 
So mm. they signed him yep. to an, they signed him to an undervalued contract, and because they had that undervalued contract, they were able to bring in Kevin Durant. They don't bring in Kevin Durant if Steph Curry's healthy. But the, the Sixers could potentially have been in the same situation with Joel Embiid. If Joel Embiid doesn't sign this contract and, and he's good this year, then then you go into the free agent situation. And you go, huh? We have Embiid under contract. We or we we signed him for you know five years, eighty million. He's still making twenty million dollars a year. Now look how look the Sixers were. You know because Embiid stayed healthy this year. The Sixers were forty-seven and four, I don't know. Why I said forty-seven, forty-two, forty-seven and whatever that number is. Forty-seven and twenty-four, right? Twenty-five. Forty-seven and twenty-five. Now free agent X goes, LeBron goes, hey, maybe I'll, maybe I want to go to Philadelphia until, well, I know this sounds ridiculous, but maybe I want to go to Philadelphia until Los Angeles. Now you have Embiid, Simmons, Fultz, and LeBron, and you know maybe that team can compete with the Warriors. But it's, instead you just locked up your contract situation to a guy who like, you, you might be in through four years of hell. If, he doesn't, if he's not healthy, you're stuck with that deal. He's not going to retire. He's 23. Right, and then – Regardless of what happens, they are, are they've locked like you said, they're stuck with it. they've locked themselves up for two or three years. I don't think that he's gonna end up being this, this transcendent player. I just he's been so injury prone. I, I it's it's tough. It, it's like would do you think that people would have been smart to, to give Greg Oden a max extension back when he was the, uh, one of the top picks and the number one pick in in the NBA draft along with Kevin Durant? In that draft, I mean, listen. I mean, it, people would have looked at them and laughed if if they did that. This is this is border, this is borderline that, and, and the only reason it's borderline is because Embiid's talent is much more than Odin's was, in my opinion. But otherwise, the injuries are just they're they're massive ones. They're ones that put him out for a, a full year. This guy hasn't even played that many games in the NBA. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I think, you know, Odin never should displayed the sort of talent that Embiid has had. I know you just said that, but, like, Embiid has showed, like, potential, best, you know, one of the best players in the league talent. Well, I, I don't think Odin will show, you know, maybe average center potential. So, I, I guess, like... I mean, no, above average, I think. Yeah. He was drafted number one yeah. overall. At the time, people thought he yeah, was going to be I, very good. Come on. No, Come on NBA now. Player. No, no, I'm not talking about as a college player. I'm saying in the NBA, Odin, like... The games in which Odin played, he topped out at around an average center. Oh, you know, maybe you saw, when he played, you sure. Well, and, and, well, that's what I'm talking about. Embiid's 31 games, but it's not the other thing. He's played 31 games in three years, guys. Three years. Right. We'll, yep. we'll get to Dante Exum in a minute, but this is a comparable thing right here. Like, you think Dante Exum is getting a max contract offer from the Utah Jazz? Probably not, right? Well, yeah. I don't think he was going to get one anyway, but. Yeah. But anyway, this is it's it's a ridiculous deal. I look, I actually do. I was about to say I don't hate the Sixers, but I hate I hate that the, the idea that like the the process of tanking is like is so genius and like I hate like Sammy Key and everything connected to that. So I kind of hope the Sixers. I don't hate the Sixers as a franchise, but I kind of hope they fail because I I dislike their philosophy and their like their arrogance about their philosophy. So I. I I don't wish anything bad on Embiid, but I kind of hope the Sixers do fail. So I'm like, oh, I'm their okay is brutal. It's a slap in the face of their fans. Are you kidding me? They're still making money as an organization, and they're just putting out a putrid product in hopes that they're going to be able to turn it around and compete with the with the big the big name teams out there. That's that's not 
goes. And that's why I am happy to be a Celtics fan because I just think that the way they've gone about things is so much better. There were a couple of down years there where things were kind of mediocre, but it's ever since that really bad tank year, nothing is, it's, it hasn't been that bad. It's always been fun to watch and you've known what the expectations are for the team. And look at this, here they are Eastern conference finals, unexpected. And then they turn things around and people are talking about them as NBA finals favorites, favorites to go to the NBA finals. So it's like unbelievable. The, the turnaround that they've, that they've made, uh, and I just I think that they this if people thought before that Philadelphia's plan to turn things around was better than Danny Ainge's plan in Boston, this this year proves it. And even if Philadelphia wins a playoff series against the Boston Celtics this season, I will still stand by that and say that the Celtics plan is better because they have, have set they've they've had a good product and now it's set up to be a great product, whereas Philadelphia had something really horrible, and now it's it could be pretty good. Yeah, I agree. Just look, even if, the, yeah, even if the Sixers were by some miracle better than the Celtics this year, the Celtics have still had years on years of being better than the Sixers and competing. So I will grant that the, the Sixers didn't have the advantage of like the one of the best NBA trades of all time, but, you know, you should have <laughs> talked to the Nets. I don't know what to tell you. Yep, anyway, that's right. Yeah. What is next? I'm pulling the list back up here. Slow going. Uh, oh, yeah, James Harden and uh, Kevin McHale. So, Kevin McHale is an analyst for NBA TV now, former coach of the Houston Rockets, uh, as you might know. So, he used to coach James Harden. That's and right. Was asked, yeah, was asked about Chris Paul coming to the to the Rockets. And he said, you know, that's great. The Rockets need a leader. Uh James Harden is a great player, but he's not necessarily the best leader. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, these comments, of course, as, as they, they made their way back to McHale. And uh, McHale, I'm sorry, they made their way back to uh, James Harden. And James Harden said, he's a clown. And he said, look, he was my coach for years, and he would talk about what a good leader I was and how I was motivating the team. Now he leaves, and he immediately, instead of saying it to my face, immediately goes and starts talking behind my back. That, like He's like, I'm not that kind of person. Uh, that's basically what he said. I'm not, I'm not that kind of person. I say things to people's face. He's a clown. Rory, whose side of this debate are you on? Uh, can I can I ride the fence? Am I allowed to do that? Because right. I think they're both right here. I think that, I think that Mikhail is right. Because he saw something as a coach, not to say that he was a great coach, because he wasn't a great coach. He didn't have that much success at all. Um, but he saw something as a coach, and he was he he, he was an NBA champion multiple times. Uh, he's been around the league for a long time, so I trust his opinion. But he saw something that a lot of other people have also alluded to in the in the past, by the way, about James Harden not being a leader type of type of player. So I believe that. I always have believed that. But at the same time, I'm kind of with James Harden as far as Mikhail's like now putting this out there. I understand it's his job, but come on, man. I mean, if he really never brought it up while Harden was there, then that's on Mikhail as well. Like, why wouldn't 
why wouldn't Mikhail have said something to him and said, hey, James, I want you to take the lead a little bit more here. I want you to, to sort of lead by example and be a little bit more vocal or whatever Mikhail th- thought were the reasons for him not being a good leader. Why not try and stoke that a little bit and get that out of him? So Harden's comments sort of make it sound like Mikhail never approached him about that type of thing, you know? And if that's the case, then I'm, I'm definitely leaning towards Harden if I had to choose a side. But I think they both have a, have a good point. Yeah, I'm sort of 90% on Kevin McHale's side, and here's why. Kevin McHale has a job to do as an analyst. Like, if he may not – look, here's the thing. It's hard to – being an NBA coach is like – especially an NBA coach as opposed to a college coach is all about managing egos. I don't know what James Harden's personality is like, but do I think that James Harden wouldn't necessarily – especially if you like – you're a coach who doesn't have a secure job. If you're not Greg Popovich, do I think that like you can just go up to James Harden and say, "Hey, I don't think you're a good enough leader. Like you should be a better leader." Do I think Mike D'Antoni could do that if you wanted to? If you didn't think James Harden was a good leader, it'd probably be difficult to do. Maybe he can try to sort of use psycho- uh, psychology to, uh, you know, try to get him to like, "Hey, maybe you should organize something for the team." Blah blah blah. But that's not the same as being like, "Hey." I don't think you're a good leader and you need to improve it at being a leader. Like, I don't think that, that Mikhail like has to be the guy when you're in a, in a job situation and you're trying to manage people to like go to someone's face. It'd be one thing if they were friends and they're in an equal power structure situation. And then Mikhail goes and says something, but he has a job and he's in a situation where he has to work that job. And he, but, but by the way, I do. Right. I do but isn't that part of managing people? Isn't that, isn't that taking your strongest person and sort of putting them in the forefront and saying, I, I would like to be on the same page as you. And I mean, I would take something away from Mikhail if he, if he never at least tried to do that with James Harden. Well, I also think like the, the notion of a leader itself is kind of overrated. Let's say James Harden is not a leader. And he probably isn't right. Like just based on what I see on the court and just James Seems Harden's that personality. Way. In general, he's probably not a leader, but does it matter? He's an awesome basketball player. Does it matter if Patrick Beverly was the leader of that team that last year? I don't think it matters that much. It's like Chris Paul. It, it, in fact, if Chris Paul was traded to the Rockets and James Harden was more of a leader, it probably would cause more problems. Like the, some of the other Clippers didn't like Chris Paul, Blake Griffin in particular, because maybe Blake Griffin had a little bit of leadership in him, and he couldn't. He chafed under Chris Paul's leadership. You know what I mean? Like I, I think. To have a good working relationship with people, like you need to not have not everyone be a leader. I don't think it's it's necessarily a negative quality when you say someone's not a leader, but you do need a leader on a team, and maybe maybe that leader needs to be Chris Paul. Maybe maybe the Rockets have said, hey, you know, even though again I think Beverly was their leader last year, but uh, but maybe part of it is like, hey, we need a, you know a good player to to really be on the court and control this situation. Uh, regardless of whether or not it's true, though. My my real defense of, of Mikhail here is again he's an analyst, but he's paid to say things like that. So I, I just think it's a different job than being coach. Like as as coach, if he went to the media, like if he was a coach of the Rockets and he and he told and he went and like did an interview with NBA TV uh, while Harden wasn't around and he was like, yeah, I just think Harden needs to be a bit better leader. Yeah, then he would be backstabbing James Harden. But when you're of not course. in a place, for, yeah. But when you're not in a place for a couple of years. Okay, again, you have an analyst job. You asked your opinion. He, he named a specific story of a time like Harden didn't do something. He didn't call him out specifically. He just said, yeah, you could be a better leader. Like, that's what your job is to do, and I'd rather him say that than sort of cover it up. Just be, 
of out of some notion of like, oh, I got to protect this guy because uh, I didn't do enough when I was coach. I don't, I'm not, yeah, I'm not but at the same time, it's it's sort of like that's that's what he saw then. It's, it's been a few years since he was the coach of the Rockets, so maybe something has changed. Maybe Harden is more of a leader under D'Antoni. Maybe I mean you you take his comments for what they're worth, right? You factor that into when you when you evaluate them. But still, as somebody who's watching an analyst, you still want him to say that if that's what he thinks. Of course, of course. But if you're James Harden, you think the guy's being a dick. Yeah, but he's, he's not, though. He's doing his job. Much like it, it happens all the time with players, too, in the NBA. Where, like, if, if Tyree, you know, he hasn't said anything yet, but if he does an interview, have, I'm, I'm sure this is coming, right? Uh, you, you know, the, the Celtics season starts. They get off to a good start. Maybe the Cavaliers struggle. Uh, Tyree feels happy and secure in his new situation. It gets to, you know, it gets to January. Sort of the, the Cavaliers thing emotionally is sort of behind him. Then he does an interview where he was like, yeah, you know what? I never liked LeBron. You don't think that's coming? That's coming. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's coming. It doesn't mean that when he, when that interview comes, it doesn't mean that Kyrie's backstabbing LeBron now. It just means he's in a different situation and thus able to speak about things he couldn't speak about politically before. And I, I think that's all it is. All right, Calvin. We'll have to wait and see on that one. I have a feeling that Kyrie Irving is not going to come out and say something like that, but it's possible. Maybe somebody will get that out of him. Well, who, who knows? They stoke the fire a little bit. Feed the rivalry, you know, make it more exciting in the playoffs when LeBron comes to town. That would be. Well, when LeBron LeBron comes to town, he'll be coming with Twain Wade in the starting lineup. (laughs) Nice segue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cavaliers coach. Who cares? Yeah. Old Dwayne Wade. Washed up Dwayne Wade. Good Good for you, Dwayne Wade. Trying to yeah, ride the coattails of LeBron yet again to get another championship. Way to go, Dwayne. Jerry Smith goes right to the bench. And here's the thing. LeBron hasn't played in the preseason, right? So, like, so, so this is not a situation where, like, Toronto Liu just watched them in the preseason and said, you know what, this, this unit just works way better with Dwayne Wade than LeBron James. I mean, no. sorry, than Jerry Smith. No. No, this is a situation where, oh, Oh, you're LeBron's friend? Oh, you're, you're former superstar Dwayne Wade? Let me just put you right into this starting Let me just put you right into this starting lineup. Even though Dwayne Wade, at this point in his career, not as good of a defender as J.R. Smith, and more, nope. importantly, no, more importantly, not nearly as good of a three-point cheater, does not have nope. the range. So, nope. like, like, literally what J.R. Smith does is open up the floor more for LeBron. Instead, you're putting this guy who, granted, they, they found a way to make it work in Miami while Dwayne Wade was still a superstar. That's great. But even in that situation, it was much like LeBron and Kyrie where they, they, they didn't so much fit together like a puzzle as they did, you know, taking turns dominating individual matchups, right? So that's not going to happen again in Cleveland because Dwayne Wade, while he might have his moments of, like, winning that individual matchup, he can't consistently do that game in and game out, and he can't face the floor the way J.R. Smith does, and he can't defend the level J.R. Smith can anymore. So, so do, you, do you think this is do you think this is more Teron Liu saying you're LeBron's friend, you're blah blah blah, like you just said, or is this LeBron saying, listen, we're bringing Dwayne Wade into this, he's going to play, he's going to start, and that's all there is to it. And how long before is something changes? If Dwayne Wade comes out and he's not playing well, or or they have a slow start, does 
LeBron give does Teron Lue have the, the ability as coach to make a change like that, or is there going to be all some all sorts of complaints from LeBron James? I just I, I've never trusted that Teron Lue makes the decisions over there, and this sort of this sort of makes it sound like that's exactly what's happening. That LeBron is the one that is just walking around making decisions. He's the player coach, if you will, and uh, it, it, he just is the is the guy that wants his friends to come around and play basketball with. Let's let's bring Dwayne Wade on for another championship. This makes me hope that the the Cavs lose even more than I already thought, or than I already hoped being a Celtics fan, of course. And it's just unbelievable that what it's, it's unbelievable what appears to, to be happening here in that, again, LeBron James is the one that's dictating who he's going to play alongside. So we'll have to wait and see how long that lasts. Speaking of how long things last, I don't even know if Calvin realizes he has dropped off the, uh, the call here. And I don't really feel like doing a show by myself. So I think I'm just going to end the show because he, I'm going to give him five more seconds Four, three, two, there it goes. Well, if, you're listening out there. I am just going to kill this thing. And I'm sorry that Calvin dropped and didn't realize it, but tired of talking to myself. So have a great night. Fake out, maybe. Um, there he is, Calvin. Ray, I probably don't. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how good I sound. Uh, <laughs> you sound fine, actually. Uh, but I did just play the closing music, so that was a weird little thing that happened. Let's just pretend that didn't happen. Uh, anyway, I was ranting about LeBron James. Um, just doing whatever yeah, he wants so, in the starting lineup, playing with his yeah, friends. Your question, yeah, that, that, that's exactly what I did. Look, uh, Trevon Lee was asked, why is Dwayne Wade replacing J.R. Smith uh, in, in the starting lineup? And Trevon Lee's answer was a super satisfying, I just felt like making a change. So if, he just, if, if that's what his answer is, he just felt like making a change, that means LeBron just felt like making a change. To me, it, to me, it doesn't matter, look, it doesn't matter if it's because he's LeBron's friend or like LeBron told him or, or whatever. It's or, or whether or not he's just trying to make LeBron happy. Regardless, the motivation here is clearly LeBron centric. Like, I, I don't think there's any question that there is, right? Because basketball wise, it doesn't make any sense. Other than again, no, and it's terrible. It's just so terrible. So how long does it last? And does Teron Lue have the, have the ability to make that change? Or is it going to be LeBron that says, you know what, Dwayne, I think you should come off the bench. Um, I'm guessing it lasts 
Hmm. Here's the thing. It, it's hard to say because I think that number will be affected by uh, whether or not Derrick Rose or Dwayne Wade gets hurt early in the season, right? Because I'm, I'm assuming we're not, ac- we're not accounting for uh, J.R. Smith replacing one of them because of injury, right? So I, I think that's probably the first thing that happens. Sure. But then because of the injury, then he's going to feel like, well, we didn't give this enough of a chance. So it might not be, you know, till the all-star break or later until it's a, a permanent change. But I, definitely by the playoffs, something is changing. Well, obviously, Isaiah, then, then you factor in Isaiah too, right? Isaiah comes in, and then it's going to be like, well, who plays best with, best with Isaiah? And it's, it's just this whole, the, the Cavaliers are just going to be in this experimental situation all season. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that to me is what makes them not the number one. They should not be the number one seed or the favorite to be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference because I think they're just going to be trying to figure things out for a very long time. And sure, they are going to be a formidable opponent come the playoffs, and they still should be the favorites to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. And Like I said two weeks ago, I would still pick them in a series against the Boston Celtics. So in my mind, they should be the favorites to go to the NBA Finals. But there are people out there, as I said earlier in the show, that are putting the Celtics as that favorite. So I I still think that Cleveland should should be there, right? But who knows? What happens if they fall to the three seed or the four seed and they end up facing Milwaukee in the first round or something like that? Maybe they, maybe they're in trouble there. Maybe, maybe Milwaukee can take them out. You know what I mean? Like, it, the further they fall in the regular season, the the more chance there will be for them to lose in an early playoff round, and that, to me, is a risk that Cleveland has to take as long as they have LeBron James. But they're taking it in the in the wrong the wrong direction right now. If you're going to force Dwayne Wade into the starting lineup, but. Whatever, whatever LeBron wants, he gets it. Yeah, I I saw a thing on ESPN. It was like their power rankings. It was like the Warriors versus everyone else and their chance to beat the. And everyone else was sort of lined up by their chance to beat the Warriors. And the Celtics were like an astonishing 15th or 16th on that list. You should check it out if you're a Celtics fan. I was surprised. I didn't have time to get into it because the show was about to start. So I need to, I need to look at it more. Seems detail. ridiculous. But. It, yeah, it, it seemed on its face. Yeah, that list was pretty ridiculous. It was like the Nuggets were like sixth on that list. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Make that what you will. But um, in any case, so getting off topic a little, uh, you have the list, Rory. So I had to close everything else out to sort of make sure that this is functioning well. Oh, yeah. So what are you doing? Are we into baseball um, now? What else do we got here? No, where is this thing? Oh, you wanted to say something about Dante Exum, but you briefly mentioned him uh, earlier, so I don't know if there's more. Uh, just a little bit. He he hurt his shoulder in a preseason game, Murray. Now he's going to be out for the entire season again. Uh, he already missed an entire season. Much like Joel Embiid, he's basically Joel Embiid. That's why I brought him up. He's going to be uh, a restricted free agent after this year. And I don't think it's a situation like Derrick Rose where he sort of had to be, be – and especially the reason I think that is because he he has a shoulder injury, be out for the year. But, like, a guy who has shoulder surgery is generally, like, going to be fine, right? You know, I don't worry about him going forward in his career, although you could say, well, maybe you worry about him being injury-prone. But 
he's still 6'6 with a seven-foot wingspan. I think he's a good defender. I think there's pretty much no chance the Jazz like re-sign him after next year because he, you know, he's going to be a free agent. Why would you sign a guy after having him for no game, right? He's going to be out there. Right. I just, I hope, I think he has a real shot to like potentially be a, a Sean Livingston kind of guy who like just always hurt early on in his career, but then made himself into uh, a role player. I don't think he's ever going to be a star, but I think he, again, I think he can defend twos and threes, and he passes the ball well enough to be, you know, he's he can be Corey Joseph to me that has value and I just hope it works out for him. Yeah. I mean, he's still a young kid, you know, and he, he came into the league pretty early uh, in his life as far as uh, NBA players are concerned. Well, not so much anymore. Obviously these guys are coming into the league at 18, 19, but um, Dante Exum is, is a guy that was highly regarded coming into this league. He's, he's still just 22 years old. If you can believe that, uh, that's crazy that he's still that young, but you might be right. He just, he has, if he can strengthen some of, some of those, I don't know, limbs, if you will, he keeps finding a way to get hurt and hurt badly. If he he can strengthen his bones and his muscles somehow at this point, who knows, maybe he's still growing it at age 22. Some people are still growing at that point. It's pretty rare, but it, it happens this guy could potentially be an excellent player. And uh, I think that's what Utah saw in him, but it'd be tough for them to pay him now. So somebody will take a chance on him. It's going to pay off for them as well. So I'll be interested to see if the Celtics get in on that because when he was drafted back in 2014, there were, there were discussions that uh, Danny Ainge was going to want him when, when the Celtics drafted, but it it turns out that they uh, did not, Let's see. I don't think they drafted that that high, um, but either way, there that was one of the he was one of the, the hot names that people were throwing around as far as something the Celtics were looking at at that time. So I'd I'd be interested to see if if Ainge sort of looked at him going forward as a guy coming off an injury because uh, actually what happened that was the Marcus Smart draft. Uh, I'm, and Exxon went right before Smart, actually. He was the Smart draft, so yeah. The Celtics, was... Yeah, so the Celtics had high hopes of getting a, a higher pick in that draft. It didn't work out. They got the sixth pick, and there was a lot of talk that they liked Exxon. So maybe that's some of that, uh, some of that smoke and mirrors that Ainge is trying to throw out there because he really likes Smart. But either way, Exxon goes five, Smart goes six, and uh, Smart has definitely had the better career to this point. That's not arguable. So there you have it. Ainge wins again. Right, you're you're pretty in and out. That's actually right the Joel and Beep draft too, Calvin. By the way. Oh, oh yeah, it is. Well, I know it is. It's a Julius Randall draft. So in, anyway, like I was saying, you're, you're pretty in and out right now for me. I'm sure it's my fault, but um, just to keep it from getting too confusing, we have, we are at an hour right now. So why don't we just call it right now? We'll get into baseball a little more next week. Oh, all right. Yeah, if you want to do it that way. Unless, um, yeah, if, yeah if, if you have any thoughts on the on the Red Sox now, you want to get them out of the way, feel free to monologue for a minute. Um, huh. My thing about the yeah, my thing about the Red Sox, I'll, I'll just make a statement about about them, and you can tell me whether or not you agree. I wanted to get into the, like the usage of starting pitchers as relievers and just like relievers as starters, because people are saying like, 
uh, you know, that some teams should think about starting relief pitchers. But I guess we can, that we can get into more next week because it's a longer discussion. My thing with the Red Sox is they they feel like they they're this team that has a really potent lineup because they have a team that like they they got a lot of high draft picks and they had like a lot of highly regarded players over the last couple of years. But I like I look at their lineup, especially since Ortiz retired, and like other than Mookie Betts, like I know they, again they have a bunch of highly regarded names, but is anyone on this team really that good? Am I, am I crazy? I, I think that you guys need better players. Um, I, I want to know where the power is coming from. Where's Where's the power? And Mookie Betts is a, is a fine player. He hit 24 home runs this year, but the rest of these guys, the Red Sox are not a power hitting team this year. And Ortiz provided a lot of that, even in his old age, no offense, David Ortiz. I wish you were still playing for the Red Sox. Uh, but I mean, they have a like you said, a lot of high draft picks, young flashy players, uh, Ben Intendi's solid player. He's had, he had a good rookie year. Um, uh, Xander Bogarts it was up and down this year, but overall, I still think that he's, he has enough potential that you should try and keep him around. Uh, Rafael Devers showed a lot of potential this year. He played pretty well in the playoffs when given the opportunity. And honestly, Calvin, I, this, the Red Sox have personnel problems from from the manager on down. So aside from their lineup lacking power, I think they need a new manager. Uh, I think they, although I wish I knew who it would be, I can't suggest somebody that's better. So that makes me scared that they're going to keep him, but that's a bigger discussion as well. But uh, you're absolutely right. Not having Ortiz is a huge thing because they don't have any power. And Hanley Ramirez was supposed to be that guy for whatever reason. He, He checked out this year. How did you feel about that sale decision in game four, given that like you probably would have needed sale in game five, uh, do you think it was fine putting him out there? Obviously, he gave up the, the run. But you got, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a difference in philosophy, I guess, right? Are you playing to make sure that you have a chance to win the series, in, in which case you're trying to get to game five, or are you playing to try and win the series, in which case you want to, to throw your best pitcher as a starter in game five? And I sort of fall on the side of leaving sale until the very end. If you see a situation, especially – before it looks like it's about to rain, if you, if you, th- if you think there might be a delay, which there wasn't, uh, maybe that's why he threw him in there. But if, if you see a situation where you can keep him on the bench just a little bit longer, um, then I would like to see him hang out for game five. But then at the same time, if you lose then you and you leave your best pitcher on the bench and he was available and you said he was available multiple times, then people are going to start asking you why he didn't pitch. So, just like Verlander came in for, for Houston, uh, Sale came in for the Red Sox, and I'm not, I don't want to kill John Farrell for that decision, but there were plenty of other decisions that this man made over the course of the last couple of seasons that were questionable at best. And he just – he has no answers. Yeah, I, I look, look, to me, again, and this goes sort of back to, back to our basketball conversation and what the regular season is for – which is what, what the playoffs is, uh, are for. I don't like bringing in starters, like t- typically in situations in which like they're not used to. We could, now, I, I think that there is something to the notion of like getting a starter ready for this situation and maybe having a, like during the regular season, finding a, a, a time 
to bring Chris Sale into the, to the middle of a couple of games. If, you know, you did this a, a perfect example is David Price. David Price came off his injury and pitched, a, pitched some games out of the bullpen. I think that probably did wonders for his preparation going into the playoffs. He knew what he was working with. Chris Sale, you're bringing him on short rest in the middle of a game and expecting him to just be Chris Sale. I don't think like the mindset of a starting pitcher is not the same as the mindset of a relief pitcher. The same thing, like the, the you know, well, you saw with Verlander, he let off that he, he let off that home run right away, and uh, yeah. I mean that's that's kind of the mo- the mantra, but that's the mindset of a of a starting pitcher. Like you can let up a run or two early and still be fine if you lock it down after that because you trust your lineup. But if, if you come in in the sixth or seventh inning, I mean they were in earlier than that, both of them. Uh, it's still different, and I mean that could have really hurt. And I, I, maybe Sale, I, I think Sale. I can't say that he was feeling the same way because he cruised for the, for the first bit that he was in, but after that, it went downhill for the Red Sox. Well, I, I'm thinking about the Dodgers situation too because uh, the the Diamondbacks played their wild card game and Zach Greinke started and he sort of he played poorly in that game and the the, the Diamondbacks brought in their number two pitcher uh, after four innings and the number two pitcher Robbie Ray pitched another three innings. Robbie Ray, who normally owns the Dodgers, they, they had him come back from that, uh, from that relief pitch. I, I think he pitched like 30 pitches. They, they had him come back off a short rest off of that, but it would have been a regular rest if you're not counting that, that row. And people were like, oh, well, he dominates the Dodgers. The Diamondbacks should win this game. And he went out there and got rocked. And I knew he was going to get rocked because you can't, especially the starting pitchers in everything that goes through their heads, every time you disrupt a starting pitcher's rhythm, you can't expect him to be as good. Even that's part of like Clayton Kershaw's struggle in the postseason is like they keep putting him in different situations. And I know the idea is you're supposed to be a gamer, but it's all reps. Relief pitchers are relief pitchers because like that's what they're used to. And and, and I see this happening all the time. And it's like and it's like the opposite now with this uh, this game tomorrow with the Diamondbacks. I'm sorry, the the Cubs and the Nationals, where they had you know starters announced in this game, right? Steven Strasburg it would be available to, to pitch tomorrow, which is when the game got moved back to, because then he'd be on regular rest. But the Nationals, are, are they've already like pre-stated that they're going to start uh, Tanner work anyway because Steven Strasburg is, is sick or whatever. But hmm. why not wait till tomorrow to decide? You don't have to decide who your starting pitcher is until you turn in your lineup. Instead, no, you know, may, you know what? Maybe, maybe that's part of the game plan here. Maybe that's part of the deception. They're going to throw Strasburg out there if he feels good. I mean, although unless you're really getting down to it, Calvin, because on one side, you don't want to mess with starting them, but you're saying it shouldn't matter who gets announced the day before. And I know that you don't have to publicly announce it. You can come out and say it to the guy in the clubhouse and let him know, but Maybe the, maybe the pitcher needs to know tonight if he's going to be the one that's going tomorrow so he can prepare. Oh, the, the pitcher needs to know. But why, why isn't there more deception in that situation with baseball pitchers? I know there has been every once in a while, but usually it's like a guy gets – look, I get it in the regular season, 162 games. There's no, there's no need. You can sort of kind of figure out who's a starter is going to be anyway. But sometimes a starter will get scratched at the last second for injury or whatever reason. If Strasburg is sick, and Steven Strasburg, without question, is a much better pitcher than Tanner Roark. I don't like. I don't understand. But but Strasburg is still scheduled to pitch on Thursday, 
So, look, why not wait until Wednesday to see if he can pitch? Why yeah, he needs the extra day. Yeah, why, but, but why? Maybe he doesn't. Who knows, who knows how he's going to be tomorrow? Why not wait and see instead of, like, pitching a guy who's way worse than he is today? Because I get it. Yeah, I, it, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if they actually trot Rourke out there or if Strasburg's feeling better and then they throw him out there. Um, because, I mean, you would think that you, you want your best guy on the mound if you're facing elimination, right? Bottom line. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. That's my thought exactly. And you, you pitch your better – especially, look, if he was on short rest, then it would go back to my other argument. Then I would understand, especially like a guy like Steven Strasburg who has, like, been on innings limitations sometimes. He's a guy, like, they always sort of have to baby. You know what I mean? But I, I don't think – like, if he had pitched a bullpen session – a game or two before, then yeah, then you don't pitch him. Then you then you just go with a healthy work. I firmly believe in that. But if he if he has regular rest on Wednesday, like sticking with the plan just because he was scheduled to start game four before, it's that's like nonsensical to me. And I I feel like baseball managers are rigid in that sense, and it, I don't get it. Yep, baseball is rigid in a lot of senses, and they're they're taking really baby steps to make the game a little bit more modern, and hoping that people are going to catch on and that kids are still going to like it and. I just I don't know if any of it's going to work. I like baseball, but man, is it tough to watch at times? You know, it it's uh, it, it's certainly slowed down, and that's not good. Great breaking news, Ray. Can I jump in with some breaking news? Yeah, you might as well to end the show. Well, Ray, I'm, yeah, we're going to end the show right now. But I'm I'm sad to report the United States has failed to qualify for the World Cup. You, you want oh. to get World Cup soccer highlights for me this year? Huh. Yeah. For the first time in many years? Yeah, U.S. soccer has failed to qualify for the World Cup. Does that, has that, that, is just, that is just... Do I, have a, do I have a sad song? No, I don't, I don't really have a... Yeah. You play poison, <gasps> you play poison backwards, right? I, I mean, I, it's not a sad song for me. I... I love a yeah, no. another another four years without hearing about soccer. That's great. I love it. Yeah, this this kid Christian Pusilek was supposed to be the, the best American born player ever. Not good enough to keep us from beating Trinidad. Not so much. Not so much. So there is your soccer minute on Careless Whispers for the next four years, and that's about as, as often as we talk about it. Actually, maybe it'll be more like eight years because there's not going to be anything to talk about. Aha. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think the World Cup is in a year from now, so it'll be it'll be at least four years, right? Four or five years. Yeah, we're good. Boom. All right. See you in twenty twenty. There you have it. Talk to you All later, right. soccer fans. All right. Good night, everybody. Yeah. I've played that music twice now. Fake them, fake them out twice. Anyway, did you have something else you wanted to say? No, no. I said good night, everyone. I good nighted. Oh. Yeah, play it again. Well, try that again. Bye. Good night, everyone.